some of you, I think all of us by this time, you are aware of what Vision 2020 is. Have you heard that here recently? All right. I'm going to do my best to make a little small contribution to dispel any ignorance that we may have of it and to know exactly how we can fit into what this means. Vision 2020. No, let's, I would love to have that, but this is another kind of Vision 2020. And that is, as it's been stated, it is our ongoing mission as a church that we exist on this play, in this place, as a scattered assembly of saints. This doesn't just happen on the Lord's Day. To glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home and abroad. We ought never to forget that. That's the big picture. But it also means that we can do things, and God has charged us to take responsibility for implementing such a task, to disciple the nations at home and abroad. That we have set in place in this vision 2020 a five-year vision. Comes out about right (laughs) in the year 2020. We want to sustain a simplicity of ministry so that we can carry out our task as a church. In other words, we need to reinvent ourselves from time to time so that we don't fall into the trap to exist so that we can exist. It can happen to a church easily. The gospel never dies. It'll go on long after we're gone. It will be proclaimed by coming generations if the Lord tarries. But churches can die. And I have prayed for years, as I'm sure many of you have, that our church may live on. And I can tell you that the evil one puts in his crosshairs churches, Christian institutions. He loves to take them down. He loves to do things that would contribute to their compromise and ineffectiveness. So we have to stay on our spiritual toes. Now, what we have to face is the fact that we are dealing with changes all the time. That as church, as churches age, and we have age, we're 45, Uh, midlife. I'm not putting too tight a, a boundary on that life. I hope this church has hundreds of years, but at least 45 thus far. And I can say that I think there has been maturity, having been graced by God to have watched it all 45 years. There has been maturity. There's been change for good. Thank God. And he gets the praise. But the culture changes as well. And in our changing culture, oh, to have lived uh, a number of decades, it is especially Noteworthy, because we have much more diversity in race and ethnicity. You move around the environs, you go around the county to the pavilion, and it's quite obvious in the stores and the people who come and go that we live in a much more diverse uh, culture than we used to. And at the same time, I bring a, I'm a bearer of bad news at this point. We have changed morally. 
And it has been a decline morally, a corruption. It has been a moral collapse that continues to go on from day to day. Now, there is where the book of Titus comes in. The book of Titus is a good place to turn to help us to think through some of these things that I've just mentioned. Our vision 2020, what we are to be, what God wants us to be, how to sustain ourselves and glorify him by making disciples at home and abroad, and that we live in a culture now undergoing changes, and they're not all bad, but many changes are corrupting in nature. And what we want to find, what we want to see in Titus is a great emphasis upon the connection between truth and practice. And this can, this is a test for every church. There is, there's no exception. That there is this inseparable link between faith and practice. There must be. And we must see it and practice it and live it between belief and behavior. We do not, if you don't think so, we don't want to be like the young man who was in a hurry to get to work. And he was going down a, a road he was familiar with and he looked up and there was an intersection, there was no stop sign, but he had to be at work on time. And he saw a truck and he saw a car and he made the judgment that he could, he could get on through at the rate of speed he was going. He could do it. Maybe he'd accelerate a little bit. He could get through and be on his way and not have to deal with the traffic coming on behind him. But he did not take into account that the truck was chained to the car and was pulling it. That was a failure to notice the importance of a link, the connection. We don't want to commit that same failure, that there is this vital connection. Now, think about Crete for just a moment. We can't really explore there. Beth and I visited Crete. I can tell you it was a tourist visit. It was not the Crete that Titus was um, the responsibility to care for the churches on the island of Crete. But Crete had a reputation. It had a very bad reputation. If you read down in Titus chapter 1, you go down to verse 16, it says that it has been said, and Paul quotes one of the poets who says they're all liars and lazy gluttons. And it was a, it was a very fractious, uh, rebellious, tumultuous, uh, free-for-all kind of culture. And Paul put one of his best spiritual rangers on that island to manage the churches, to see that those house churches would be, there would be elders and deacons and that life in those churches would uh, come up to speed and that there would not be this distance between the truth proclaimed and the truth lived. That's what Titus is all about. Actually, he uses this word adorn. Did you hear that? As Aaron read the passage in the last verse that he read, adorn. The point is, is that he wants, here's this gospel. The gospel is what it is, and it's beautiful in itself, but we are responsible for making it attractive. Attractive to one another and attractive to outsiders. That seems to be Paul's special concern in writing this. Titus, the churches must make the gospel attractive. Show them how to dress, if you will. 
how to match their clothes. The clothes of truth lived out in life. That's the point of this little letter. Now, what we are going to do is that we're going to do something that uh, we do every morning. And we're going to look in the mirror. Now, you you will not be able to access this from where you are, but uh, you understand the concept. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in the mirror. Now, you know that Jane says that the perfect law of liberty, the word of truth, is like a mirror. Now, who would look get up and look in the mirror and and not notice the challenges that you have before you in the morning? They're there, and they vary from each each of us. And you know what your style is and your what you have to deal with. I'm not going to get into that. But we look into the mirror. And James says, would you look into the mirror and walk away and not do anything about it? Now, let, let me bring us back here to the book of Titus. That's essentially what Titus is going to do. If I may, I'm going to hitchhike on James' metaphor. We're going to look in the mirror. And I'm asking you, what do we see? Now, I do need to explain something. Let's see, is the first slide up there? There it is. All right, now, you've got to really... Screw your head down real tight here because you need to notice something about this. this. is a very helpful, very helpful slide. We don't usually stop and explain the slides, but this has got something to it. You see the mirror. Those of you who play chess, I saw one of our men giving one of the younger men a little uh, secrets as to how to have, play a good chess game, and he had his chessboard out here. There's the king. You can see on the top, king the cross. And so there we were, are, as it were, looking into the mirror. Now, there is in this scene a picture of what we are and what we need to become. And we look in the mirror and we see there is the king and who he is and that we are to become like him. And to push it further, we have our position set in Christ. We're secure in him. We have, oh, how many, at least 30 to 40 different um, things that took place the moment we were converted and we became like, came a believer in Christ. That's what is known as positional truth. Like we were saved from the penalty of sin. Among other things, that truth, we're in Christ. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know it? All right, now. Then, with looking into this mirror, what Paul does with Titus is to take the congregation and he breaks it up into different age groups. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to have, we're not going to be able to deal with, we're going to trail off into what is really an admonition to Titus when he gets down to verse, uh, verse seven and eight. He goes on to speak to Titus personally as to what he should be doing. And then the slaves in the congregation and the, the early church, most of the believers in the early church in the first century were slaves. Well, that would be a very important task for another sermon, but we're going to keep it with these four age groups. So let's move through them. Everybody in here in this auditorium, you're going to fit into one of these four, everyone. And the very first group that he singles out and asks that they look in the mirror and determine what do they see and what changes need to be made, what corrections And don't walk away from it having looked and then not done anything about it. 
So, and well, let's consider the first. Now, the first one would be the older men. You can see in this text, after he has already said, as for you, Titus, I'm looking at verse 1, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now, there is Paul true to his theme in this book. Fitting, that which is suitable, that which is becoming, that which matches up, that which is appropriate. There is a way that God expects us to live which is coordinated with what we believe. I know I've said that about six times, but we must see this. Because this is the church worst, church, it should be the church's worst nightmare, is when we have a congregation and leaders who are busy with the word, maybe in it even, but not being transformed by the Spirit of God through the power of the Word. All right, that's what we want to note. So then he says, older men, all right, I'm going to move this mirror around, all, right, all older men. Oh, my, <laughs> scary. Uh, I'm looking at myself there momentarily. Older men. All right, some of you checked out, but don't check out because all these things link together. What does he say with regard to the older men in the congregation? Well, I would, I will put it in this summary statement, and then let's look at the particulars. That the church in the mirror is to reflect older men who blaze a trail. That is worth following. Oh, that older men who've lived a life in the faith and they've gone ahead and they've gone through many things, trials and sorrows and decisions and relationships and all the disappointments and joys, all that life throws at you. And what is it that's said of them? I don't know. First of all, he says, these older men, they ought to be clear in their thinking on how to balance life's demands. In other words, older men have got to be clear-headed. They've got to control their appetites. There must be self-possession, self-discipline in all circumstances. Not intoxicated with material things. Minds that remain clear Sharply focused on what life is about and who God is and where one is going. And they've weathered many a storm. You see, I think one of the reasons that he mentions this at the very outset, this clear-headedness, not being, if you will, intoxicated with the values of this world, is that men have to, have to filter their thoughts like we all do, older men do. That there are some, there are some special dangers that come with, uh, getting on in advanced years. And let me throw out a few. At one time, these were theoretical, but they aren't now. <laughs> After all these years, I owe it to myself. Oh, you do, huh? I do. Be careful. Now, that comes at different times in life. It's not just for older men, but that is a particular danger. Or, I just can't take it anymore. That's it. I'm out of here. 
you kind of feel like maybe you owe it to yourself to maybe break off a relationship, break away from the assembly, lay down your duties and walk away. Or, and here's one that's really scary, I can say whatever I want to when I want to say it. Ooh, that's a dangerous one. Uh, Most of you looking at me like you don't know what that means. But I'll tell you, you'll find out one day that it's a temptation because you feel you've got seniority. I've I've kind of, I don't want to make myself the reference point on this, but I can't pick any one of you. That might be offensive. So I just know that it can work this way. And it can be for good. That is, you can say things and speak to people in a fatherly or grandfatherly or great-grandfatherly way with all due courtesies, and that's an advantage of being older. It is. It's a gift. But it can it can have a downside, and you can say too much, and you can think that you can insult people or tell people what to do and be a controller simply because you've got some age seniority. All right, but let's move on. Older men should be worthy of respect. Dignified. Interesting word here. It occurs four times in the New Testament. The idea is that there is, this is focusing on the accumulated, the cumulative effect of maturity in Christ. Uh, the idea is that there is a seriousness, seriousness about the right thing. That it doesn't mean to be grim, never smiling, but it just knows how to be serious. There's a time to be serious. So you're living life in light of eternity. And then he says, older men should be self-controlled. That they have to be careful that their minds don't get cluttered with things that are frivolous, time-consuming, and a waste of time. Self-discipline. That older men, we need to be reminded of this. Yes, we want to finish. Do you want to finish well? Oh, I pray God help me sprint to the finish line. (laughs) That's my goal by God's grace. But older men, we've got to be careful that we want to self-control and use our, our, our place, our circumstances to honor him, to glorify him, and to look around us. And, for example, this whole retirement thing, that's a dangerous word because it the word uh, here, here, I, I can't go into all the details, but it can be a, it can be a very dangerous concept. Can, you can think, well, it's time to lay down and quit. I, I, t- <laughs> I talked to a man. I don't even he he professed to be Christ. At least his the card, the business card that he gave me. He was a painter. He gave it to me, and he said he he told me I was going to talk to him about a particular job. And, and then uh, he and his wife, they were out painting a house. And he said, well, i tell you what. He told me his age. And, and he said, I, I retired so many months, about a year ago, he said. And I just sat down started watching all old cowboy movies and gained 20 pounds. And he said, that was enough. I had to get back to work. <laughs> well, that when you're sensible, when you're sensible as an older man, you don't just lay it down and quit. I know one man who was a head of a mission board. He's been here. Remember Al Larson? Used to be what we called an evangelized field mission, now Cross World. Moved into retirement 
community down in Jacksonville, Florida. And you know what he did immediately? His sensibility carried him into that place and through. And in that place, start Bible studies and have a ministry, a pastoral, almost like having a parish right there in that place. Now, that, that's the way to look at the declining years. But then he says older men should have a healthy faith life. Interesting that he uses the word healthy here. This is a, uh, um, a go-to word in this section, occurs several times. Um, our word hygienic comes from the Greek word used. And perhaps there's a play on the idea that men, some older men sometimes are not healthy in body. There is a rumor that uh, puts that out, that there is, there, there's more breakage, you're more fragile, get more surprises as you get older. And by the way, you know, I have, a, I have a physician friend who tells me, he's told me often, that the body, human body, is made for about 50 years. So somewhere in your late 40s, around 50, it starts breaking. That's just the way it is. Now, he's an oncologist, and he taught at Emory. And he wasn't joking. And, well, we won't go into that as to what all goes with it. But older men should have a healthy faith life. So as the body may break down, that trust day by day, trust in the Lord must not break down. Keep on being a good theologian. Know how to trust God in the face of fears. Don't become cynical and embittered, but this robust confidence in God. And even though the body may not fully cooperate, all right, you accept it and you move on. Then he says older men should know how to love. You can see that in he, this, these three here go together when the one he mentions next, they should live hopefully, that older men ought to be examples of love. That's generosity and giving of themselves to others. I want to let you in on something else now. There is in this, you know, love in that list where Paul says love is patient, love is kind. You know this in 1 Corinthians 13? Mention patience. And you know one of the dangers of older age being advanced in years? And I have found it to be true. Patience, patience. But you know, there's a reason why that. Now, as always, we can all be impatient. But old, as older men, we have discovered a thousand things that won't work. Haven't we? Well, okay, I'm speaking to old, <laughs> my age group. We've discovered thousands of things that won't work. Well, what do you think may be a hazard with that? We see some younger people going to try this. We say, that ain't going to work. That's not too smart. You're going to do what with that? I mean, the list is endless. And you can have a good time doing it. Because, see, you're not bringing up the times where, you know, you messed up all those times and you found that that wouldn't work. So you really got to, as, as my grandfather used to say, you got to hold your horses. And that's where patience comes in. So he tells older men, love. See, you think, why would he need to tell older men that? That I'm just suggesting that is one reason. And then older men should live hopefully. And this hopefulness which he stresses here 
is that over time you're tempered like steel. And that perseverance, he uses the word perseverance, that's that staying power and trusting God. And that you are putting faith into practice day. It's, it's faith as a marathoner. That's what it is. And you keep on. And you keep on to live, hopefully. And don't be gloomy and pessimistic. I mean, I've heard, I've heard young people when they're in a group of older people, or I've heard, I've heard my grandchildren say it. Grandchildren can be a great help in kind of helping you stay between the lines on these things. Is that you don't want to come off just being negative. Oh, I remember the good old days. Yeah, because as we find out when we get older, we tend to filter out the bad things. And some of us do and remember the good things. Well, he wants us, Paul says, to teach the older men to live hopefully. And allow your final years to be strong for the Lord. And not a contradiction to the gospel that you've professed all those years. Let's keep it this way. Older men, just pray this prayer. Lord, help me to finish well. Finish well. Honor you and be careful. All right. Now, ladies. Oh, this is interesting. Ladies. Look in the mirror. Older ladies. Now, did you think I would be so, so crazy as to suggest what might be the marker on this? I could, but I'm not here at this moment going to do so. But older women. Now, notice he says, likewise. Because that means that there's not a hard and fast line between the older men and the older women. And the others, age groups as well. There's some, the same truths, there's linkage. And they flow down, they cascade down from one to the other. So here, to the older women. Now, I don't, we don't have time to go into what are the special hazards and difficulties that go with each age period. And I did a series on that years ago, the seasons of life. And that, that can be useful just to help us to be circumstantially aware of what's going on at a period of time in life. But I'm saying what I'm saying right now to prepare you for the way I wanted to caption the way older women are to look in the mirror and be changed is because a woman is especially conscious of appearance. I'm not saying that critically. It's the way God's made the woman. Appearance and attention to clothes and hair and skin and eyes and ears and teeth and jewelry and maybe makeup and, and such. I mean, if you don't, if you have any doubts about that, just go to a wedding sometime. And my, all the time that is involved in getting the bride ready. I mean, men just think, this seems, they don't say it, but I say, this seems to really be over the top here. Uh, why all this attention? But you know, I think God has built in, I'm, I'm off my subject a little bit, but God has built it so that, you know, He uses the, God uses the, um, the, the word picture of a bride adorned for the groom. And that is getting the church ready and outfitting the bride to be ready for the coming of the groom. Uh, that's another sermon. All right. Back on this one. So I say it this way. That 
The church in the mirror is to reflect older women who are devoting their remaining years to the display of inner beauty. Now, I know that's true always. But as, as some physical attributes may begin to fade, there's always inner beauty. I know, like, I won't mention her name. Beth will know who I'm talking about as well. That as she aged, that, and I, I, I knew her just about all her life. It seemed like in some way she got more beautiful. I don't mean, it was just her manner, her attitude, her delight in the things of God, her generosity, her kindness, her just beautiful. And I mean, it transcended physiology, face and such. This is what I say. So older women are to embrace life as an opportunity for sacred service to God. You say, be reverent in their behavior. The language there is of particular interest, almost like a, being a priestess, if you will. To be reverent. That is, this outward expression of inner character. That giving themselves, older women giving themselves to God and Seeing these declining years as years to be useful to the Lord and not lamenting loss, but delighting in what is found in these advanced years to serve God. And there are gifts that come with advanced age, ladies. There are gifts to that. And so fighting through the difficulties... And old lady, women do have difficulties that men don't have because they were made to have children, physiologically so. And so they're always fighting consequences of that in one way or another. But I think what he's stressing here is that see yourself, older ladies, see yourself as that you're there to serve and Inner beauty, let it break. How so? Older women are not to use their tongues in spreading injurious words. Why would he bring that up? I'll give you my, my thought. I think what he's saying is he's telling them that you can't be a slanderer and serve God. That would seem to me to have mastery over the, of the tongue. But you see, in this context, he's stressing the fact that women have a responsibility to teach the younger women. Now, that can be formal. It can be informal. But there is duty. There is responsibility. Ladies, as you advance in years, you have a wider range of opportunity in that you can be of great help to younger women coming after you. And they need your encouragement. They need your wisdom. They need your help. They do. But here is a danger that in going through these lessons that you pass on in the storytelling that you could begin to take great joy in passing along the failures of others, maybe even your own husband. Oh, we men, we have our flaws, but you've got yours too. Has anybody fooled you into thinking that you don't? 
Now, we're thankful for you, but we all have our own set of flaws and failures. So we have to be careful that we don't try to make our case to build our points uh, to by putting down others in the process. So watch the tongue, not a malicious gossip. And let me say this, ladies, I would say it to the men as well, but... Do you over-talk situations? Do you over-talk? Do you talk too much? Do you talk too much to one another? Ooh, how dare you say that? Because we have to talk. The men don't. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) But I'm just saying, be careful. Be careful. God has given, and I'm generalizing, I have to. That he's given women a facility to communicate, to be articulate, to see things, to be discerning. I mean, I can't tell you the times, Beth, we'll go into social situations or whatever it is, and Beth will see something, and she said, did you notice that? And say, no, I didn't see that one. <laughs> I missed that. And there, so there is some, that, and women can read one another. And I know this little secret about women that they say that one woman can look at another woman and size her up in 10 seconds. Ah, I'm in on these things. I've got a good teacher. (laughs) And the way women respond. So I'm saying that just say, you can see why. Be careful what you say. Injurious words. Oh, must move on. Older women must not allow chemical dependency to become a substitute for dependence on God. Now, it says, not enslaved to much wine. So, older ladies, you may be thinking, well, what, they must have, what did they have? A lot of drunken old women on the Isle of Crete? That would be quite a church. And the church smashed? No. No, but, well, there's, there, there, his, there, there are cultural, there's a cultural context to that. But I, let me just cut to the point and go to the, and say it this way. That, yes, there is that danger of perhaps relying upon any chemical to enable you to deal with life. Medication, and I'm not saying in any way medication is, is wrong or sinful. But be careful that medications, any chemical, that it's not used to escape responsibility or it's not used for excuse-making, for behavior. And so there may be some special challenges at this time of life. And, you know, you have to take and you get medications that can, that inter, can, the way they connect with one another and this one causes this. And then if these two get together, there's really a lot of trouble because those two get together. And if those two get together with this one, then there's even, oh, my, what medicine gives, it takes away, doesn't it? We all know that to some extent. It's not just a, a, a woman thing. But older women, older women are to be committed to passing on the truth of God that's been woven into the years of experience. And so this teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women. So older women have this responsibility to say there are younger women. Now, not limited to family, daughters-in-law or daughter and others and granddaughters, but it is 
ladies, as you're advancing in years, are you packing it in and giving up and withdrawing to a more safe zone and comfort and protect, self-protective? Or are you looking at the church? There are younger women in this assembly that need you. They do. You've learned things. God's worked them in your life. It's to his glory. It's by his grace. But they need you. God's given you a gift set. You're, and I'm not just talking now about being teachers, but he's given you natural gifts, things you can do with your hands. And, well, you know, maybe you're an unusually, you're usually good in the kitchen. You've, you know, and other things. And some, the other, how to adjust. Well, let's, let's get along because he says some things here to the younger women that may help us. Now we come to the younger women. Ah, I guess probably 98% of the ladies here with me on this one. The younger women. The church in the mirror is to reflect young women who display the precious jewel of Christian truth. Okay, you can't see here from there, but you get the point. Look, what do you see? Are you displaying the precious jewel of truth? Younger women are to be taught how to express love to their husbands. Very first thing. The demands of love have to be explained. Because how many of us, you know, men and women, you get married, maybe this is a particular um, challenge for younger women is that, and, and on top of it, this may even be your Achilles heel, romance romance and you have this view of marriage and life that came over you when you were maybe four or five years of age (laughs) and romance and your knight in shining armor would come and sweep you away and you would live happily ever after I just happened to read this week an account this is an old dear Abbey column and this lady, she wrote and says, I'm 44 and I'm looking for a husband. And I'm looking for a man who doesn't have any bad habits. Can you give me any? And you know what her answer was? She says, I am too. <laughs> so young women, young women have to be taught how to love. It has demands, and it's not just romance. By that I mean it's more than moonlight and roses. It means making decisions. And older women have some credibility here, should have. That's necessary to teach younger women a life that's been consistent with biblical truth. And so, you know, Great harm can come. And let, let me state the second one here. I've got to move along and, and bring these two together. Younger women are to be taught how to express love to their children. Now, you can see these, these home things with a husband, with the children, and so on. What was the great temptation for women on the Isle of Crete? Well, I can tell you, it wasn't getting up and being at work at 8 o'clock and being home at 5 and having supper ready. Now, that's, that's some has its own special demands. But not on the Isle of Crete in 65 A.D. But there was this common challenge 
for the women as it would be for today. And that would be that the expansion of leisure time, expansion of leisure time, more time that you aren't tied down. I've lived long enough to know what that looks like, what my grandmother had to do. I mean, just a day's work. If you're going to have chicken for dinner, you go out in the backyard and you wring the chicken's neck. When was the last time you did that? (laughs) And, I mean, on and on. And sewing, I can see her just sitting there sewing. She had a light bulb in the sock, and she was darning the sock. Now, you'll have to explain this to the really younger women what all that means. But more leisure time now. You don't have to worry. Just throw the old ones away and go, go, go to belts and get another pair of socks. But what he's saying to the younger women is that here, children demand constant loving attention. And an older woman who has weathered many a storm, you've lived long enough, you know that your children can climb up Fool's Hill. They can break your heart. They can please you. They can be the greatest gift on this planet one moment, and then the next moment you feel like it's the greatest curse. And then all of those ifs, ands, and buts, and behaviors, decisions, and such... An older woman can come and say, no, dear, by God's grace, let me tell you a few things. And can be a real help and encouragement. You see something that's coalescing here in this whole passage, even as we get into the younger men. How that as a church sees itself as a unified body. Sees itself as a family. See that family theme here. That as we see that then we are working counterculturally, counterculturally, because the culture has people out living their own lives and independent of one another. And, you know, one of the things that hammers on younger women and child-rearing, if I may be so bold, is that one of the things that's happened with the feminist movement, which has done great damage and great harm to the culture, it really has. Oh, I can't get off on that one. Feminizing the culture. And I, well, I hold that till we get to the young men. We've got to get there. But there is a view that some women, young women can have that why they're just unworthy of giving all this time and attention to children in the home. They have got great gifts and talents that need to be used somewhere else. Oh, no, this may make you a little uneasy. I'm not saying that you can't work outside the home. But I will tell you this. Yes, it takes a coordinated effort with husband and wife. I know that. Men can't move away from that response, shouldn't move away. But be careful here that you don't have a view that children are somehow a penalty, a problem, and that pour yourself into them. And older women can help with that wisdom. And younger women need guidance to gain perspective on life. You see, he uses this word sensible again. Keeps coming up here. Pressures in the home can distort the lens of spiritual reality. Things can easily get out of focus. I think it means that the younger women should have a set of biblical priorities. Young women, do you have those? Do you know what they are? Or are you just flying along, guessing as you go? But do you know what your priorities are? And you're not ruled by your feelings. That's a battle, isn't it? Not ruled by your emotions. 
and that you're not easily offended. You're not distracted by inconsequential things and you know the value of time. All that's bound up in being sensible. Sensible. And you watch your relationships with other young ladies, young women. And that, if I might go to this quickly, young women must treasure moral purity above all earthly treasures and know how to work out their salvation in their home. Workers at home. It doesn't mean that your salvation is a layaway plan, that you keep doing things and then hope that you finally are saved. No, it's that you're working out what's worked in by the Spirit of God and you're in Christ. Remember the, the king? Probably more like the king. Looking like him, responding like him, thinking like he wants you to think. And the home environment is the workshop for your sanctification. Other things as well, your your task all of life, but especially in the home. And so, young women, be careful in those relationships. Young women must apply the fragrance of a sweet disposition. He uses the word kind. And respect for the headship of their husbands, being subject to their own husbands. As equals, yes, equals, supporting, encouraging, giving counsel, Wisdom, those things, don't take them for granted. They must help. And I will tell you, in this culture, in this day, there are a lot of things that are coming to make that these patterns of life disintegrate and fall apart. Resist them. Resist them. Live counterculturally. But let's get to the men, young men. You notice that in this case, as young men look into the mirror, what are they, are they to see that would change them? The church in the mirror is made up of young men who bravely carry the flag of truth for the glory of God. How does he describe that? Young men are to know where they are on the battlefield of life. Look, he uses the word sensible again. You see a theme that keeps popping up here. Sensible. And that you have perspective. You've got a grip on things. I, it's, that's like that. You're keeping stupid things to an absolute minimum. And command over your bodily passions. Oh, that testosterone that just, whoo, it's a monster. And you say, God, I need to be sensible. And this, you know, this begins at conversion, this sensibility, this kind of awareness. There are dangers because you can run off with all this energy and this, if you're compulsive and then get impulsive with it, that's really quite a bomb. Chasing things. What is it? Gaming. Video games. Internet. There are so many things, little bobbles and bangles that just dangle out there. Just that want to get all your attention. And I don't know, it seems like certainly many have increased. I'm not going to make your argument that it's worse than it used to be. There's so much that want to get your attention. A 48 inch screen and it's almost like being there running the ball. I mean, how better can you make a TV screen? What can you do apart from just being right there? 
I mean, I say these things, and men so visually, visually attuned. Man's eyes. The way he's wired. So he says, be sensible, be sensible. And so watch it. All right, you, you enjoy fantasy football. I, I'm not here to pontificate on the rightness or wrongness of that, but I tell you, be sensible. Maybe you ought to consider fantasy golf or something. <laughs> is there a fantasy golf? I don't think there is. <laughs> that, uh, so he's saying this to young men, aspire for spiritual maturity. Know how to master yourself. Self-mastery. I think that would be way up on the list for young men. Self-mastery. Desires. Physical appetites. Freedom. Sexual desires. I'll just say, young men, get a grip on it! Get a grip on it. It'll take you down if you don't. And don't say, well, why am I made this way? Let me tell you, God made us as men He's wired us in a search way. Sends the culprit. <laughs> Sends the bad guy. Identify it and go after it. But he's made you to be a leader, provider, protector. You take boys, if they can find the toy department in Target, if they want to, they want to do. Well, they want to find things. They want to go get the bad guys. Kill them bad guys. Get them. Fight. Tussle. Oh, this makes, this makes the, oh, people say, ooh, boys and girls, there's no difference, they're all alike. That's ridiculous, and you know it is. They, whoa, we have these studies. <laughs> and so, young men are, need heroes to inspire them. An example, models, this is where we go back to the older men. That, oh, I miss older men. I mean, they've all just about gone now. <laughs> I say, my age group, I told my brother-in-law, said, Cliff, I'm so glad to sit and talk with you. You're one of the few left in my age group. <laughs> and we, we can share things. But let me say this. Older men have played such an important role in my life, and younger men need that, that connection. And I think maybe the women may be a bit more inclined to uh, get that, make that happen. At least the table is set a little more clearly for that. Men, we tend to off being, you know, in our own spheres. Oh, I miss, I miss Beth's father. I, 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 often I'd say, I'd just love to sit down and talk with him for, for about an hour. <laughs> or my former pastor. Older men, they're all gone. Now, you know what I mean, that, that those that I went to and asked for wisdom and advice and counsel. So here we are. Here we are. Young men, they need that. They need to see men who will stand their ground and be an example of the faith. And they don't yield to sexual temptation. That is, they handle it. They fight it. They fight it. They're faithful to their wives. They're, they're kind. They're patient. They control their passions. They're not addicted to Games and toys and they're finding the straight. Oh, we need a generation of you had a church full of men like this and have got all that extra energy that overflows for the sake of the gospel. I'm not saying you can't enjoy ball games and whatever you, you know, maybe some of you, you like to follow the weather and that's really fun and so, okay, uh, <laughs> okay. 
I've got weather bug on my phone, you know. I like to hit it. I just like to know what's coming up this week. And I'm, so I, I don't want to make it say, say well, every, all young men got to be preachers. Just sit and study all the time. I don't know why God put me there, to tell you the truth. Because when I was a young guy, I wanted to do things outdoors. I lived outdoors growing up all the time. So I wanted to. And the Lord put me in a study all my life with books. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he knew I needed rescuing. <laughs> I needed extra help. <laughs> That's why he did it. And I say this to conclude. That God has brought us together as a family. See, we've got, we've covered everybody here. Older men, older women, young women, young men. We need one another to encourage, to build up in the faith and, and mean business. Let's just stop and pray right there, right now. Lord, we do need help. Oh, Father, I pray for the young men. There's a young man in this audience, or a teenager, Lord, who's doing foolish things right now as I pray who's flirting with some drug or some pornography, some secret world on the Internet, Lord, bring great conviction that we'll be free to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. Break them free. Give us a congregation, Lord, full of young men who carry the flag of truth in our examples. And, Lord, give us young women Young women, Lord, who have a fervency for you, love one another. And, Lord, who will put aside jealousies and competition and envy. Oh, God, that they will be a a band of sisters loving you together. And young older women, Lord. Oh, God, give us more as, as our congregation ages, Lord, and more of the women become the older women. May they be a a mighty force, God, for teaching and instructing and encouraging the younger women to be true to you and know how to love and care for the home. And, Lord, for us older men, oh, God, keep keep us from bringing dishonor to your name that we would not disappoint others by doing something foolhardy or being silly, just wasting time. Oh, God, we need you for these things. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here in this assembly, man, woman, boy, or girl, who's without Christ, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to say a benedictory prayer. But I want to say this and make it clear as I can. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, you may come to him and cry out to him right now. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, Lord. I have broken your law in so many ways. And worst of all, I have not believed in Christ. I've rejected him. I've gone my own way, trying to save myself, live for myself. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. And thank you for Christ who died in my place on the cross. And Lord, that he was raised from the dead and he's qualified to do it because he is God and he's man and he died for me. Thank you, Lord. I now believe and receive forgiveness in the sin and eternal life. Now. Right now. Right now. 